You're listening to DNA ID, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Citizen Detective, and Campus Killings. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. On January 28, 2012, at 10.47 a.m., a 911 call came into the Opelika, Alabama, Police Department. The caller was a woman named Yvonne Johnson. She told the dispatcher that she needed some officers at her home, lot number 47, in the Brookhaven Trailer Park, located at 1775 Hearst Street. Yvonne said her son had found a human skull. Yvonne's son, an adult male, was doing yard work at her home when he came across a very small skull just lying there on the ground. At first, he assumed it was part of an animal, but human skulls are pretty distinct. His mother, Yvonne, came out to look. She later said, quote, He said you have a human skull in your backyard. I said, Did you touch it? He said, No. She called 911 immediately. Police were dispatched to the location. Yvonne told the responding officers of the skull that, quote, It wasn't there in the morning earlier, and it wasn't there when I went to bed, so it had to have been dragged. Something brought it there. End quote. Since only a skull was found and it was missing the mandible, police descended on the trailer park and fanned out from Yvonne's trailer in search of additional bones. The trailer park abutted a wooded area that was thick with dense brush, unnavigable by searchers. Officers had to use machetes to clear the dense undergrowth in order to facilitate the ground search. Their efforts paid off. Over the next few days, they found additional bones belonging to a child near a small waterway described as both a creek and a drainage ditch. Captain Bruce DeLong with the Opelika Police Department stated to the media, quote, The remains found were probably within 20 to 50 yards of where the skull was found on Saturday. Due to the thickness of the brush, it took time to uncover it, end quote. Between January 30th and February 9th, Opelika investigators, assisted by the FBI, found many bones suspected to be part of the same small human skeleton. The bones were scattered, but the majority of them were located just a few feet into the brush behind Yvonne's trailer and an adjacent lot. The bones found included the mandible that fit the small skull. Searchers also found two other items of interest. One was a small, grubby, pink long-sleeved shirt with heart buttons and ruffles at the neckline. This was found in the brush in very close proximity to the majority of the bones. Opelika Police Chief Healy said that it was suspected to be connected to the remains. Searchers also found a heartbreaking little bundle of very curly dark hair that was clumped together as though it had come off a head all in one piece. 
All the bones, the shirt, and the hair were sent to the FBI lab in Quantico, Virginia, for analysis. The lab determined that the bones came from a black female child who was likely between the ages of four and seven. Forensic examination of the remains determined that the little girl had suffered fractures to her skull, arms, legs, shoulders, and ribs. A total of 15 healed fractures were noted on her bones. They had all occurred prior to death and were believed to be the result of blunt force trauma. Someone had beaten this child to the point of breaking 15 bones over the course of her short life. One fracture of her left eye socket was thought likely to have rendered her blind in that eye and resulted in a visible physical deformity. Carol Schweitzer, the case manager and supervisor of Forensic Service for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, known as NICMEC, told the Ipolika Auburn News, quote, It's very difficult to determine exactly how that injury occurred, but we know she sustained the injury several months to a year prior to her death, which created severe damage to the left eye, end quote. Sergeant Alfred of the Opelika Police Department stated, quote, Based on feedback from experts, we believe that she could not see out of her injured eye. End quote. The state of the little girl's bones also indicated that she was malnourished. They appeared underdeveloped, as did her teeth, which were too small for her estimated age and probably appeared incongruously small while she was alive. Significantly, the little girl's death was determined to be a homicide. She was believed to have been killed sometime between the summer of 2010 and 2011. Solving the murder of the little girl whose body had been dumped behind a trailer park became top priority. The FBI released a Seeking Information poster and erected billboards. Both featured the estimated age range of the little girl and photos of a forensic artist's clay reconstruction of her face. In Opelika in particular, the little girl's story captured the hearts of the community, and she became known there as Baby Jane Doe. Members of local law enforcement in that area made it their mission to find out who she was and who had abused and killed her. Detectives reviewed every missing child report, created a tip line that generated thousands of tips, and reviewed over 15,000 case files from the Alabama Department of Public Health. They began to suspect that Opelika Jane Doe had never been reported missing. I assume that this led them to suspect that whoever her caregiver was, whether a parent, foster parent, adoptive parent, or adult relative, was the one who had abused and eventually killed the little girl. Because otherwise, that loving caregiver would have raised the alarm at her sudden absence. A lot of work was put into vetting the residents of the trailer park. Consensus among investigators was that while natives of Opelika would know where the trailer park was, outsiders would not. It was out of the way, but it was also tightly packed with mobile homes, which were very close together. Someone had taken a risk by depositing Opelika Jane Doe behind the trailer park, as if they were anxious to quickly be rid of the body. The fact that she was not abandoned somewhere in the wilderness indicated ties to that specific location. OPD Sergeant Alfred White, who worked the Opelika Jane Doe case since 2014, was quoted by the Opelika Auburn News saying, This makes me believe that whoever did this to this child lived in the trailer park and is from this area. More inroads were made toward identifying Opelika Jane Doe in August of 2016. That month, Nick Mack released a new facial reconstruction of her that resulted in a number of tips. 
Opelika Police Captain Shane Healy said, quote, Through that process, we received several tips, one of which was very promising and led to us obtaining photographs. What happened was a teacher at a kid's school vacation Bible camp at Peace Community Church saw the newly released images of Opelika Jane Doe and remembered something. A little girl had attended her Bible camp in the summer of 2011. The teacher was able to dig up some photos taken at the camp, and there she was, a little black girl, maybe four years old, with one eye that was visibly damaged. The teacher provided these images to law enforcement, who found them of great interest, not just because they showed a little girl who perfectly matched the description of Opelika Jane Doe, with tightly braided hair tied back and a fuchsia shirt under denim overalls. But even more significantly, the church where the camp was held was just a few miles from the trailer park where Opelika Jane Doe was found. Unfortunately, the teacher at the Bible camp had no idea who this little girl in the photos was. The Bible camp did not keep records of the kids who attended, and in fact, reportedly, the camp ran a bus around town that picked the kids up and took them to the camp without parents or caregivers needing to attend or even sign their kids into someone. The teacher was able to recall that the little girl appeared unkempt and was very quiet, not communicating with other kids and keeping to herself. Nevertheless, in the photos, the little girl does appear to be interested in what was going on around her. She just never talked to anyone. OPD Captain Shane Healy said, quote, We believe the young girl in these photographs is Jane Doe. However, we are not positive she is, end quote. To this day, the little girl in the photos has not been named, but investigators believe that she was Opelika Jane Doe, and the photos were likely taken shortly before her death. The next step in the investigation was isotope testing of Opelika Jane Doe's bones. This type of testing is generally able to determine the geographic origins of bones, which, in turn, can help narrow down where they came from. However, testing by the University of South Florida Institute for Forensic Anthropology and Applied Science was able to determine only that Opelika Jane Doe was native to the southeastern U.S., possibly the states of Alabama, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Georgia, Mississippi, or South Carolina. In 2018, there was a push to generate more tips. It was strongly felt that someone must know who Opelika Jane Doe was, and perhaps that someone would be encouraged to talk if there was a reward. The Lee County DA's office offered a $5,000 reward for information, and an anonymous citizen matched it. Soon, the reward grew to $20,000. In a publicity push accompanying the announcement of the reward, OPD Chief John McEachern reminded the public that the little girl had suffered. He said that based on what investigators had learned about her physical injuries and the fact that she had not been reported missing, she likely spent her entire life in captivity and pain. In 2021, Nick Meck released an updated image of Opelika Jane Doe. It had been generated by a forensic anthropologist at the Smithsonian, making use of cutting-edge 3D imaging technology. Please take a moment to look closely at this face. This little girl needs your help, said Angeline Hartman, Director of Communications at NITMEC. Unfortunately, no one came forward. The 10th anniversary of the discovery of Opelika Jane Doe's remains was observed on January 28, 2022. A small ceremony was held and 10 
pink balloons released in honor of the little girl who still did not have a name, but whose case had become extremely meaningful to the investigators. Lee County District Attorney Jessica Ventieri said, quote, While we don't know who baby Jane Doe is, we all here are her family. We here are her people. We're the ones who love her. We're the ones who miss her. And we're the ones who mourn her, end quote. OPD Sergeant Alfred White had worked the case since nearly the beginning. According to officials in his department, he worked nights and weekends on it, even on his own time, resolving to get justice for Opelika Jane Doe. White said at the anniversary ceremony, quote, All I can tell you is that I'm confident that we're going to solve this case, and I feel like we're going to do it pretty soon, end quote. Well, he must have known that he was right. DNA had been extracted from Opelika Jane Doe's remains and entered into the federal missing persons DNA database, part of CODIS. But of course, that would only serve to identify her if someone who was related to her had submitted their own DNA to law enforcement to be entered into the missing persons database, which would generate a match. And since police did not believe anyone had reported her missing, that was thought to be unlikely. But there was another possibility, forensic genealogy. Previous attempts to obtain a SNP profile from Opelika Jane Doe's remains had been unsuccessful because of the degraded samples. But in January of 2022, new sophisticated DNA testing was able to obtain the necessary genetic profile. Othram Labs obtained DNA from the scalp remnant that had been found, and Estrella Labs obtained DNA from some of Opelika Jane Doe's hair still attached to the scalp. A comprehensive genealogical profile was constructed and uploaded to Family Tree DNA and GEDmatch. Dr. Barbara Ray Venter, founder of Firebird Forensics Group and one of the premier genealogists in the U.S. who worked the GSK case, took it from there. It has not been reported whether the forensic genealogy in this case was an onerous process. But since Opelika Jane Doe lived until about 2011, fairly recently, any relatives who had submitted their DNA to the open source databases could be her same generation or a single generation removed. In other words, there was a lot higher probability that a direct relative was in the database. It seems as though Dr. Ray Venter was able to narrow her search fairly expeditiously. She provided some investigative leads to the OPD, and by October of 2022, they were able to identify one of Opelika Jane Doe's parents. The child's father was 50-year-old Lamar Vickerstaff Jr. Lamar was a native of Opelika. Remember that police suspected that whoever left Opelika at the trailer park was familiar with the area. Lamar was born and raised there. He graduated from Opelika High School. And he did indeed have family and friends who lived near the trailer park. He himself did not. He was in the armed forces serving in the U.S. Navy since 2001. In the course of his lifelong naval career, he was stationed in various posts in Norfolk, Virginia, Honolulu, Hawaii, and Jacksonville, Florida. Lamar had served as the chief engine man on the missile destroyer USS Jason Dunham. On December 5, 2022, Opelika detectives went to Naval Station Mayport in Jacksonville, Florida, where Lamar was stationed at the time. They had worked with the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, or NCIS, to schedule a meeting with Lamar, who had obtained the rank of Senior Chief Petty Officer by then. But Lamar never showed for the meeting, and in fact went AWOL, or absent without leave, from the base. 
It took them several hours to track Lamar down, and when they did, they asked him whether he had a daughter who had died sometime around 2011. Lamar would say only that he could not answer questions about something he knew nothing about. Now, keep in mind, it's possible that Lamar knew absolutely nothing about this child. As far as police knew, he might not have known she existed. When he denied knowledge of the little girl, they had no proof that he was not being truthful. It was sketchy that he had absconded from the naval base to avoid the meeting, though. They moved on to interview Lamar's wife, Ruth Vickerstaff. The couple had been married since May of 2006. Ruth said she did not know Lamar's daughter or who her mother could be. Okay, it was now more crucial than ever to locate Opelika Jando's mother. Hi, DNA ID listeners. Well, Season 3 proved to be the charm. DNA ID has been selected as one of 50 awesome true crime podcasts represented on Podcast Row at CrimeCon. What that means is that I will be there in person to meet and greet our listeners and thank you all for making DNA ID a success. Now, this is important, so listen carefully. I want you all to come to CrimeCon 2023, taking place in Orlando, Florida, on September 22nd to 24th. I've been to CrimeCon as an attendee twice, and believe me, it really is worth it. Last year, I sat in on talks by Paul Holes, Dr. Henry Lee, John Ramsey, the Delphi families, and many, many more. Not only is it three days of incredible panels, presentations, demonstrations, and activities relating to all things true crime, but all your favorite podcasters will be on Podcast Row waiting to take a selfie with you. Speaking of Podcast Row, here's the important part. When you go to sign up to attend CrimeCon as an attendee, you must use our special code in order to score 10% off your badge price. That's quite a savings. And when you use this code, CrimeCon tracks those numbers to determine how many listeners of the show attend, which really helps our chances for returning to Podcast Row next year. So go to CrimeCon.com, find the link to Orlando 2023, and click on Register. Fill out all the fields, select your badge level, and be sure to enter DNAID, just those five letters, no spaces, into the coupon code slash voucher box for 10% savings. If you're springing for a VIP badge, you can't use the code, but we still get credit for your attendance if you answer the How Did You Hear About CrimeCon field on the registration page by writing in DNAID. I'll see you there. Look for me at the DNA ID table on Podcast Row, and thanks for listening. Dr. Ray Venter had been able to determine several possible matches for Jane Doe's mother. One of the candidates was a woman living in Maryland, a state with no known connection to Opelika Jane Doe. But OPD detectives looked into her background and bingo. They discovered she had lived in Norfolk, Virginia, at the same time and in the same apartment building as Lamar Vickerstaff. In December of 2022, detectives traveled to Maryland to meet with 37-year-old Sherry Wiggins. Sherry was a native of Norfolk, and the investigators asked her if she had had a relationship with Lamar Vickerstaff. Sherry said, yes, we have a daughter. Is she okay? Sherry said that she was living in Norfolk when she gave birth to a baby girl on January 1, 2006. The baby girl's name was Amor Jovia Wiggins. Opelika Jane Doe was Amor Wiggins. Sherry confirmed that Amor's father was Lamar Vickerstaff, and she had some very important information to share. 
From the press release announcing the identification of Opelika Jane Doe as Amore Wiggins, quote, Ms. Wiggins provided documentation showing that Lamar and Ruth Vickerstaff obtained legal and physical custody of her daughter in 2009, at which time her visitation with Amore was suspended. Ms. Wiggins also provided documents indicating that she has continuously paid child support to Lamar Vickerstaff since 2009, end quote. This meant everything. Lamar and his wife Ruth had taken custody of Amore in 2009. Sherry never saw her daughter again. By sometime in 2011, the little girl was dead, dumped in an Opelika trailer park. And Lamar and Ruth had been collecting child support payments from Sherry ever since 2009. Sherry told the investigators that she had attempted over the years to initiate proceedings to amend the custody agreement so she could see her daughter. It's unclear why this did not happen, or if Lamar opposed these motions. It's almost certain that he did, since he certainly knew that Amore was dead. Sherry had no idea Amore was dead until the detectives knocked on her door in 2022. Everything Sherry told the investigators turned out to be correct. Othram Labs used their proprietary kinsnip familial relationship testing on the DNA of Opelika Jane Doe and samples obtained from Sherry and Lamar. The testing supported the parent-child relationship of both Sherry Wiggins and Lamar Vickerstaff to the DNA profile developed from Amor's remains. So now, OPD detectives knew that Lamar had lied to them. He told them he didn't know who Opelika Jane Doe was, but Sherry had documents that proved he not only knew who she was, he had custody. Investigators did their due diligence in several states where the Vickerstaffs had lived since 2009, and learned that Amore had never been enrolled in any school, and she had never been reported missing. Since Lamar and Ruth had had sole custody of her, the Lee County DA's office concluded that criminal charges were in order. On January 17th of 2023, Lamar and Ruth Vickerstaff were arrested in Jacksonville, Florida, by the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office Community Problem Response Unit. News for Jacksonville reported that CPR unit detectives had surveilled the couple after receiving arrest warrants from the OPD. They then moved in and arrested Ruth near her north side home after pulling her over on a traffic stop. She was alone and was placed into custody without incident. Lieutenant Ricky Valentine, a Jacksonville Sheriff's Office supervisor involved in the arrest, said they weren't sure how Lamar's arrest was going to go down. Quote, We don't know everything. Is he going to go ahead and take that opportunity and just start on the run? Instead, he was with his friend. His friend drove him directly here. They came up to the stop sign, exited, put his hands in the air, walked out. We peacefully took him into custody, walked back, put him in the police car. End quote. Both Lamar and Ruth were initially held at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office pending extradition to Lee County, Alabama. Once the transfer was complete, they were held at the Lee County Jail. On January 26, 2023, Ruth Vickerstaff was booked at the Lee County Justice Center on charges of failure to report a missing child. These charges stemmed from Cayley's Law, passed by the Alabama legislature in 2013. The law is based on the disappearance of Cayley Anthony and the failure of her mother Casey to report her missing. The law specifies that it is a felony for a parent or legal guardian not to report a child missing in cases where the parent knew or should have known the child was possibly in danger. 
Since Amor was believed to be only five years old when she went missing, her parents certainly should have known that she was in danger. Ruth was awarded bond of $10,000. The terms of the bond require her to remain in Alabama pending the disposition of her case. A preliminary hearing is set for March 22nd. Her attorney, Zach Alsobrook, gave a statement saying, quote, Ruth was fully cooperative and spent more than two hours with police sharing everything she knows, end quote. The next day, January 27th, Lamar Vickerstaff Jr. was booked on charges of felony murder and failure to report a missing child. He was denied bond after an Anaya's hearing. WKRG News 5 in Alabama explains this as follows, quote, An Anaya's hearing, named for Auburn's Anaya Blanchard, will take place Monday afternoon with Lee County Circuit Judge Jeff Teichel. This will be the first Anaya's hearing WRBL has covered since Alabama voters overwhelmingly approved the amendment to Alabama's state constitution in November of 2022. Anaya's mom, Angela Harris, stated, quote, Anaya's law is named after my daughter, Anaya Blanchard, who was kidnapped from Auburn and murdered on October 23rd of 2019. The person who killed Anaya was out on bond for multiple violent offenses, end quote. Anaya's law permits judges significant discretion to deny bail for a wide array of crimes, whereas previously, defendants in Alabama could be awarded bond for everything except capital murder. So Lamar was charged with felony murder and failure to report and denied bond. It's unclear why Lamar's charges are more serious than Ruth's. We don't know what investigators have learned about what exactly happened to Amor and which adult was directly responsible for her death, if not both. But Lamar is considered the, quote, responsible person who was in charge of Amor's welfare under Alabama law. And the charging document states that police have a statement from a witness that puts Lamar in Opelika around the estimated date of death. Further, the affidavit states that Lamar has, quote, ties to the exact area where the remains were located, end quote, and that Amor was dumped, quote, behind a residence where associates of Lamar live, end quote. Investigators are still putting together their case. In fact, on January 18th of this year, after the Vickerstaffs were arrested, but prior to any public announcement, a targeted search was conducted at the trailer park where Amor was found. As reported by WRBL, quote, Opelika police confirmed they are serving a search warrant at the property along with the Federal Bureau of Investigation regarding an ongoing investigation. Agents are standing on the mobile home's front porch. The area around the residence along with the front and backyard are blocked off with tape, end quote. Shane Healy elaborated slightly, stating, quote, Just yesterday, January 18th, we executed a search warrant at a trailer near where her remains were found, in conjunction with the FBI's evidence response team, still trying to gather further information and evidence related to this case, end quote. The name of the person who owns or owned the trailer that was subject to search has not been released. This case has only broken very recently, and I suspect we will see additional or amended charges in the near future. Police are working to obtain Lamar's cell phone records from 2011, to see if they can put him at the specific location where Amor was found. Now that her daughter has been determined to be deceased, Sherry Wiggins has spoken to the media to tell her story. She and Lamar met at a community grocery store near the apartment building they both lived in. 
They started talking and soon entered into a relationship. Lamar was very supportive during her pregnancy and positive about the idea of having a baby. Amor, born on New Year's Day in 2006, was in the running for first baby of the new year at her birth hospital. Sherry almost won a year's supply of diapers. In 2007, Sherry admits she made some bad choices which resulted in her having some run-ins with the law. Lamar wanted to take custody of Amor and they took it to court. Because of her issues, Sherry agreed to Lamar having custody. She initially had liberal visitation rights and was in contact with Lamar constantly about Amor's well-being. Sherry said she was never concerned about her daughter's safety with Lamar. He wanted the baby and had always been very supportive of and helpful to Sherry and her older daughter from a previous relationship. She said she had zero concerns about him as a parent. It's unclear how exactly Ruth figured into all this. She says that she married Lamar in 2006, and we know Amor was born on January 1st of that year. According to Sherry, Ruth was initially not thrilled about Lamar getting custody of Amor. Lamar told Sherry it was a strain on their relationship. But Sherry said that Ruth was often the one who came to pick up and drop off Amor when it was time to exchange her, and that Ruth was never mean or rude to her or her daughter. Then Lamar got reassigned and moved away from Virginia. Starting around 2009, Sherry lost touch with Lamar and with Amor. She said she tried to contact Lamar by email, Facebook, and phone, and he would tell her to stop contacting him and threatened to call the police on her. She was concerned about running afoul of the custody agreement and getting slapped with a harassment charge if she pushed the issue. But eventually she petitioned the court for shared custody and renewed her petition every couple years. She has documentation to prove that, she says. But Lamar always fought it, and eventually she stopped trying. She held out hope that one day, Amor would have her own social media that Sherry could use to contact her. When Sherry found out from the police that Amor had been dead since 2011, she felt deceived, hurt, and angry. She said the details she received from the OPD were devastating. She wished that Ruth had just reached out and asked for her to take Amor back. As a mother to her own kids, Sherry was shocked that Ruth could watch a child be treated that way. She wished that Lamar had just called her to say, Things aren't working. Can you take our daughter? What they allegedly did, Sherry said, was evil. She told reporter Catrice Nolan of WTVM that she hoped they both get the punishment they deserved. Interestingly, a man who was close friends with Lamar in the Navy from 2009 until 2012 said that Lamar used to show off pictures of Amor and would talk proudly about his little granddaughter. But after a time, he stopped talking about her. The OPD held a press conference announcing the identification of Amor Wiggins and the arrest of Lamar and Ruth Vickerstaff on January 23rd. It was a very emotional day. Opelika Police Chief Shane Healy was so choked up he had to take a minute to compose himself. His agency had been working the case of the murdered, abandoned, and abused little girl for more than a decade, and the impact was evident. Chief Healy talked about that day in January 2012 when Opelika Jane Doe was found. He said, quote, Since that day, baby Jane Doe has been part of our OPD family. The level of dedication to this case I have never seen in my entire career. To see a group of men and women come together searching for a name, many of us said, that we did not want to leave our time at this police department until we had her name. And now we do a more Wiggins, end quote.
The OPD press release accompanying the announcement concludes as follows, quote, This case remains under investigation, and detectives need the public's assistance in gathering additional details regarding Lamar and Ruth Vickerstaff's relationship with the Moore Wiggins and her time spent in Opelika, Alabama. If you have any information, please contact the Opelika Police Department Detective Division at 334-705-5220 or the Secret Witness Hotline at 334-745-8665. The press release went on to express thanks to the large number of individuals and groups who assisted in identifying Amore and apprehending the Vickerstaffs. They included Amore's mother, Ms. Sherry Wiggins, Nick Mech, Dr. Barbara Ray Venter with Firebird Forensics, Othram Labs, Estrella Labs, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Lee County District Attorney's Office, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, NCIS, and the Baltimore County Police Department for their assistance in this case. All these people were required in order to answer a question that never should have been asked in the first place. Who is Opelika Jane Doe? Lamar Vickerstaff knew the answer the whole time. She was a more Jovia Wiggins. Let's hope she gets justice. Thanks for listening to this episode of DNA ID. If you'd like to listen to the show ad-free and help support the show in the process, please head over to patreon.com slash DNA ID. And if you're interested in some fun DNA ID merch, visit the store at customizedgirl.com slash S slash DNA ID podcast. To contact the show, please email us at dnaidpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at dnaidpodcast on Instagram, at dnaidpodcast on Twitter, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash dnaidpodcast. Finally, if you want to visit our website, go to dnaidpodcast.com. You'll be able to get all the episodes of the show, leave comments on episodes that I can respond to, and you can even leave voicemails. You'll get all the latest news about the show and important updates. Find links to our social media, merch, and a lot more. It's really your one-stop shop for everything DNA ID. DNA ID is written, researched, and hosted by me, Jessica Betancourt. It's produced by me and Mike Morford of Abjack Entertainment. Music by Connor Betancourt. Check out our other collaborative podcasts, Scene of the Crime, Missing Persons, and Beyond Bizarre True Crime.